Hi, I'm Stephanie Berger. And I'm Savannah Weston with the Disability Rights Section of the Department of Justice. And you are listening to ADA Live. Yo. Hi, let's roll. Let's go. Good afternoon. On behalf of the Southeast ADA Center, the Burtonblatt Institute at Syracuse University, and the ADA National Network, welcome to episode 68 of ADA Live. Hello, everybody. I am Rebecca Williams, the Information Specialist in Training and Technical Assistance for the Southeast ADA Center. Before we move on, listening audience, you can submit your questions about the ADA in opioid addiction at any time at adalive.org. Welcome, Stephanie and Savannah, and thanks for speaking to us on this very important topic that seems to be in the media every day. Statistics indicate that more than 115 people in the United States die from overdosing on opioids. When we look at that figure on an annual basis, that's 470,500 people annually. The misuse of an addiction to opioids, including prescription pain relievers, heroin, and synthetic opioids such as fentanyl, is a serious national crisis that affects public health as well as social and economic welfare. The Center for Disease Control and Prevention estimates that the total economic burden of prescription opioid misuse alone in the United States is $78.5 billion a year, and that includes the cost of health care, lost productivity, addiction treatment, and the criminal justice involvement. Stephanie and Savannah, perhaps a good place to start our discussion today is to talk about the Disability Rights Section of the Civil Rights Division of the Department of Justice and the role it plays in the current opioid crisis in the United States. Sure, so the Disability Rights Section works to achieve equal opportunity for people with disabilities in the United States by implementing the Americans with Disabilities Act. With respect to the opioid epidemic, the Disability Rights Section is focused on eliminating discriminatory barriers to treatment and recovery for people with opioid use disorder who are not currently engaging in illegal drug use. The disability rights section's efforts are just one part of a larger response to the opioid epidemic by the Department of Justice. The Department of Justice's overall response to the opioid epidemic has three prongs, prevention, enforcement, and treatment. While much of the Department of Justice's efforts are focused on cutting off supply and bringing criminal prosecutions, the Disability Rights Section is focused on reducing discriminatory barriers to treatment. People with opioid use disorder frequently face discrimination and stigma related to previous illegal use of drugs or the use of medication-assisted treatment, or MAT. The ADA can be an important tool when discrimination which is frequently fueled by stigma, myths, and stereotypes, serves as a barrier to treatment or sustained recovery. Thanks. It, um, it's great to know about the DOJ's three-prong approach to addressing the opioid epidemic. Will you share this uh, with us under what circumstances drug addiction is considered a disability? 
The Department of Justice's Title II and Title III regulations specifically include drug addiction in the definitions of physical or mental impairment. Opioid use disorders are a type of addiction and are therefore impairments under the ADA. Individuals with opioid use disorders that substantially limit one or more of their major life activities are generally considered to have a disability under the ADA. But note that this is subject to an important exclusion regarding current illegal drug use. Major life activities include caring for oneself, learning, concentrating, communicating, working, and the operation of major bodily functions. Social interactions and parenting have also been recognized by some courts as major life activities that may be affected by substance use disorders. Uh, thanks for that explanation. <clears throat> uh, will you now tell us a little more about current illegal drug use exclusions? Yes, so the ADA provides that an individual with a disability does not include an individual who is currently engaged in the illegal use of drugs when the covered entity acts on the basis of such use. So what this means is that if an individual is currently engaged in the illegal use of drugs and a covered entity takes adverse action against that person on the basis of that use, this is not a violation of the ADA. Current illegal drug use is defined as the illegal use of drugs that occurred recently enough to justify a reasonable belief that a person's drug use is current or that continuing use is a real and ongoing problem. Whether an individual's illegal drug use stopped long enough ago for the person to be protected by the ADA depends on several factors. Some key questions are, number one, does the illegal use of drugs remain a problem? And two, how much time has passed since the individual illegally used drugs? Some courts have interpreted current use to include the weeks and months prior to the alleged discriminatory act, while other courts have found that as few as 30 days free of illegal drug use is no longer currently engaged in illegal use. That's interesting, Savannah. Uh, it, it seems as though at this time, interpretation of current use is, is open to each judge's inter interpretation. Uh, medical assisted treatment is something we're starting to hear more and more about. Uh, just what is medication assisted treatment? That's a great question. So medication assisted treatment or MAT refers to treatment for an opioid use disorder, which combines the use of medications such as methadone, buprenorphine, or naltrexone with counseling and behavioral therapies. It is important to note that MAT does not fall under the illegal use of drugs exclusion under the ADA because the illegal use of drugs does not encompass the use of a drug taken under the supervision of a licensed healthcare professional. So it sounds as though the key here is under the care of physician when looking at medication-assisted treatment. Uh, can you now give us an example of the kind of cases or complaints uh, Department of Justice is hearing in relation to the ADA and opioid use? Sure, we can give you a few examples. Uh, so first, in May of 2018, the Department of Justice entered into a settlement 
with Charwell Operating, which is a company that operates a skilled nursing facility in Massachusetts under Title III of the ADA, which covers public accommodations. In this matter, the complainant alleged that in 2017, this skilled nursing facility denied him a bed because he was using Suboxone, which was physician prescribed and for his opioid use disorder. Through its investigation, the department learned that this skilled nursing facility did not admit any patients that had physician prescribed medications for their opioid use disorder, including Suboxone and Methadone in the year of 2017. The department alleged that Charwell's denial imposed eligibility criteria that screened out individuals with opioid use disorder and denied the patient the opportunity to receive their services on the basis of disability and in violation of the ADA. The settlement requires Charwell to adopt a non-discrimination policy, provide training on the ADA and OUD to admissions personnel, and to pay a civil penalty of $5,000 to the United States. In addition, in January of this year, the department entered into another settlement agreement with another Title III entity, Selma Medical Associates, which is a private medical facility that provides primary and specialty care in Virginia. And in this matter, the complainant alleged that Selma Medical refused to accept him for a new family practice appointment solely because he was being treated for OUD with Suboxone. Like in the case we just talked about, Charwell, in this case, the department alleged that Selma Medical imposed eligibility criteria that screened out individuals with opioid use disorder and denied that patient the opportunity to receive services on the basis of disability in violation of the ADA. This settlement agreement requires Selma to pay $30,000 damages to the complainant and a $10,000 civil penalty to the U.S., as well as to adopt new policies and conduct trainings in order to ensure that it complies with the ADA in the future. Also, in the Title II context, which covers state and local governments, discrimination may arise in the areas of zoning and child welfare. A city or locality may violate the ADA if it adopts and enforces zoning rules that subject residential substance use disorder programs to a more burdensome approval process than that city would require of similar entities. So the DOJ has brought cases to address discriminatory zoning and land use restrictions that act as barriers to treatment and recovery for individuals with substance use disorders. For example, in 2012, the department successfully challenged uh, the city of Baltimore's discriminatory zoning rules, which subjected residential substance use disorder programs to a burdensome approval process. So the Baltimore Zoning Code had required residential substance abuse treatment programs, but not other similar programs, to obtain a conditional ordinance. So the department alleged that this requirement discriminated against individuals receiving treatment in the residential substance abuse treatment programs in violation of Title II of the ADA and also under the Fair Housing Act. The court found the city's requirement to be overbroad and discriminatory and ordered that the zoning code be amended through legislation or court order. Title II of the ADA also covers child welfare agencies and courts interactions with parents who are in recovery or who have already recovered from an OUD. Child welfare agencies and court systems should not subject parents to blanket eligibility criteria that screens out individuals with disabilities 
from participation in their programs, services, or activities. So, for example, we are aware of some allegations that some courts and agencies have blanket policies that prohibit parents from using medication-assisted treatment in order to retain custody of their children. And really, it's these blanket policies that may draw a challenge under the ADA. Well, those are certainly, <coughs> excuse me, those are certainly interesting cases, Stephanie, thanks. It sounds as though the Department of Justice is really serious about non-discrimination when medication-assisted treatment is involved. Now let's talk a little bit about Title I, the employment title of the ADA. Uh, what are some examples of discrimination against individuals with opioid use disorder that can occur in this context? Yeah, this is another really active area uh, under the law when it comes to opioid use disorder discrimination. The EEOC has entered into several settlements regarding applicants who received a job offer, but then whose offer was withdrawn when the employer found out, either through the applicant's voluntary disclosure um, or through a pre-employment drug test, that the applicant was using medication-assisted treatment. So, for example, uh, in a case called EEOC versus Volvo Group, um, which settled in January 2018, the EEOC alleged that Volvo had conditionally offered an applicant a laborer position uh, and then later withdrew that offer when the applicant disclosed at his post-offer physical that he was using doctor-prescribed Suboxone. The EEOC also alleged that Volvo failed to conduct an individualized assessment to determine what effect, if any, the Suboxone would have on the applicant's ability to perform the job. In the consent decree, among other things, Volvo agreed to pay $70,000 to the individual and to amend its policy to explain how it will assess the lawful use of prescription medication in the future. Employment discrimination could also occur in the context of a denial of a reasonable accommodation. So, for example, an employee who is using medication-assisted treatment might request a different schedule so that he or she can visit a clinic each day in order to receive a dose of methadone, or maybe to be allowed to sit instead of stand while working due to muscle pains as a result of their treatment. The same analysis that typically applies to a request for a reasonable accommodation would apply here. Once an employer determines that an accommodation is reasonable, the employer must provide it unless the employer can demonstrate that the requested accommodation would impose an undue hardship on business operations. Determining whether a particular accommodation poses an undue hardship needs to be made on a case-by-case -case basis. Thanks for that information about employment, Stephanie. I, I do have another question about uh, employment. Do employers have to provide time off for employees to attend treatment, counseling, or medication-assisted treatment programs? That's a good question. Time off may be a reasonable accommodation under the ADA for an individual with opioid use disorder, such as leave to attend medical appointments related to an individual's ongoing addiction treatment. So, for example, an individual may need to visit a clinic each day to obtain his medication-assisted treatment or to attend therapy. Even though the ADA doesn't cover individuals who are currently illegally using drugs, it is important to remember that some individuals may stay in treatment for addiction long after their illegal use of drugs ceases. In addition, some employees may want to request a reasonable accommodation of leave to attend rehab even though they are not currently engaging in the legal use of drugs. 
So maybe preemptively before their legal use becomes a problem or while they're legally using medication-assisted treatment. In these scenarios, it may be a violation of the ADA for employers to deny their accommodations or fire the employees because to do so would discriminate against them on the basis of their disability of opioid use disorder, not on the basis of current illegal drug use. Wow, great information, Stephanie. Uh, another question here about employment. Uh, if an employee has been written up or fired for poor work performance, and then after the fact they inform their employer that they are struggling with an opioid use disorder, does the employer have to rescind the adverse action? Probably not. Um, as long as the adverse action was taken because of the employee's poor work performance and not because of the employee's OPD disability. Uh, however, if the employer uses a made-up or exaggerated poor work performance as a pretense to take adverse action against an employee because that employer thinks that the employee has OUD and wants to discipline or fire him because of it, that would be discrimination under the ADA. But in the scenario that you've described where the employer doesn't know that their employee has an opioid use disorder until after the fact, the employer's adverse action would not give rise to an ADA violation. There really are a lot of issues around employment and uh, opioid use and opioid use disorder. Uh, we have another question here. Uh, if an employee tests positive for a controlled substance, may an employer ask whether the employee is taking the drug under the care of a physician? Or would this be viewed as asking disability-related information? So a test to determine whether an employee is engaged in the illegal use of drugs is not considered a medical examination under the ADA. Employers are entitled to seek reasonable assurances that no illegal use of drugs is occurring or has occurred recently enough so that continuing use is a real and ongoing problem. If use of an opioid that is commonly used as medication-assisted treatment is revealed during a routine drug test, the employer should give the employee an opportunity to explain whether the drug detected is medication-assisted treatment being taken under the supervision of a physician before they take any adverse action. If this inquiry reveals information about an individual's disability or medical condition, such as revealing that the individual has OUD, this information should be treated as confidential medical records. Thanks so much, Stephanie, for all that great employment information uh, as it relates to opioid use disorder. ADA Live listening audience, if you have questions about the disability rights section of the Civil Rights Division of the Department of Justice and their role in reducing discriminatory barriers to recovery for people with opioid use disorder, you can submit your questions at any time online at adalive.org. Now, let's take a quick break. The Disability Rights Section works to achieve equal opportunity for people with disabilities in the United States by implementing the Americans with Disabilities Act, ADA. Through its multifaceted approach towards achieving compliance with the ADA, this section works to make this goal a reality. The section's enforcement, regulatory, coordination, and technical assistance activities required by the ADA, combined with an innovative mediation program, provide a cost-effective and dynamic approach 
for carrying out the ADA's mandates. The section also carries out responsibilities for coordinating the consistent interpretation of Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act across the government. Section activities affect millions of businesses and nonprofit agencies. Thousands of units of state and local government, over 40 million people with disabilities, and over 100 federal agencies and commissions in the executive branch. You can find out more by visiting www.ada.gov. Welcome back. We are speaking with Stephanie Berger and Savannah Weston with the Disability Rights Section of the United States Department of Justice. Stephanie and Savannah, unfortunately, we are just about out of time. I want to offer you an opportunity to share any additional information with our listening audience before we have to go. Thank you. We want to let listeners know that the Department of Justice operates a toll-free ADA information line with ADA specialists that are available to answer any questions they may have about these or other ADA topics. Listeners can contact the ADA Information Line at 1-800-514-0301 or 1-800-514-0383 for TTY. In addition, we want to make listeners aware of our website, www.ada.gov, which is a great resource and includes information about how to file an ADA complaint with the Department of Justice. Housing-related complaints should be submitted to the Department of Housing and Urban Development, or HUD, and employment-related complaints should be sent to the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, EEOC. Thank you so much, ladies. That was all absolutely great and extremely helpful information. Listeners, our guests for this episode of ADA Live have been Savannah Weston and Stephanie Berger, attorney advisors with the Disability Rights Section of the Civil Rights Division in the United States Department of Justice. As always, we thank you for joining us for this episode of ADA Live. This episode and all previous ADA Live episodes are available on our website at adalive.org. All episodes are archived in a variety of formats, including streamed audio and accessible transcripts. You can also download as podcasts. It's as easy as going to the podcast icon on your mobile device and searching for ADA Live. Remember, if you have any questions about the Americans with Disabilities Act, you can submit your questions anytime online at adalive.org or contact your regional ADA center at 1-800-949-4232. And remember, all calls are free and they're confidential. ADA Live is a program of the Southeast ADA Center. Our producer is Celestia Orazda with Beth Harrison, Mary Mortar, Emily Ruber, Marsha Schwanke, and Barry Whaley. Our music is from Four Wheel City, the movement for improvement. See you next episode. Yeah,